This morning, uh, every so often I have people that will give me thoughts, ideas. Hey, this is something that I've been studying or wrestling with, and, and will you run with it? Will you teach it? And, and, and so this is one of those moments where someone who had come to me had spoke to me about uh, logic versus illogic, uh, how their struggle in their walk with God has been being able to step out of one into the other. And in the Christian walk, that is an enormous question because it happens all the time. And I'll show you in Scripture, it happened in Paul's time, it happened in Jesus' time, it happened all the time. Just trying to, to figure out the logical versus the illogical following of Jesus. And it makes it even more difficult because when God comes to us, He is strictly trying to find people who will follow Him by faith who will by faith follow him, which means there has to be an element of illogic in everything that we do. Some things just have to seem mysterious. They have to seem weird. Some things just don't have an answer, but they work. I, I, I can't explain it. I can, you know, Pastor Lott, explain this to me. I can't. I can just tell you that it works. I can just tell you that this is how God does things. This is how God operates. I don't understand praise and worship. I don't understand praying in the Spirit and all the things that go along. All I can tell you is it works. All I can tell you is it's the way God designed it. And it will not fit your natural thinking or your natural mind. It is something that has to be experienced. And in the experience, you gain a knowledge that a lot of people never gain. In fact, we many times look at things and situations and wonder why do people do certain things or why do people act in certain ways. When we talk about logical or illogical, we do it all the time. One of my favorite stories is the Red Baron. In fact, if you can pull that picture up for me uh, on the Red Baron. You got that one? There he is. And, and, and in 1918, the early 1900s, he was the greatest phenomenon of his time. When, when airplanes were just starting out and really starting to fight, he wrote the manuals on how to fight in airspace. He was an incredible aviator. He, he was this incredible fighter. In fact, before he died, he had 80 confirmed kills or 80 confirmed plane drops. He, he was that good to write the manuals, to teach others how to do it. But yet, even on all of this, at one time of his life, having 80 kills, writing the manuals, everything, on April 21st, 1918, he does something that seems ridiculous. Manfred von Richenfen, he had a problem in what we call today is called perseveration. Perseveration is a clinical disease of where someone gets so focused on something, they can't unfocus. It can happen because of trauma. It can happen because of different issues. It can happen in your life. You, it happens a lot with Alzheimer's. When people become uh, in this state, many times they perseveration becomes part of their DNA. In fact, they'll keep asking the same question over, forgetting that they've asked you that same question. They can, they can sit there and rub on something and keep rubbing on it and keep rubbing on it and not realize that it's already been rubbed down to the bone. They get so uber-focused that everything else falls out of sight. 
1918, April, he was fighting in the airspace and he got to chasing this one aircraft. I mean, this kid was a young pilot. He was scared to death. To see the Red Baron coming at you, knew you was pretty much dead. So he starts turning his plane around and he's headed for home. He, is, he has got it full throttle. He is trying to get back. He's staying low where, where he can't get shot. He's doing everything he can. He has one purpose, to get away. And the Red Baron was after him. In fact, another plane attacks the Red Baron, almost causes him to crash, but he doesn't, and he still stays in pursuit. What he did that day was he crossed the enemy lines, lines that he knew he should never have crossed, went way into the enemy's airspace, way in. So by the time the other plane was safely with his group, all of a sudden you look up and here's this one red plane flying low. They shot him down immediately. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, just just pelted him with bullets. He crashed, died, and people were like, why in the world would he do something like that? I mean, somebody knew as much about fighting and, and, and all. Why would he just keep chasing this plane to where he literally he knew he was flying into their, their camps? They were going to kill him. But what they didn't say was that seven months earlier he had been in a fight and because of the damage of his plane, it had crashed. In the crash, he had had a severe head trauma. For the next seven months, he had severe headaches. He would get dizziness, throwing up, constantly having problems. But everybody's like, oh, he's fine. What had happened was perseveration had taken over into his life. And now when he finally focused on something, he couldn't unfocus on it. Well, brother, what's that got to do with us? Well, let's look at it this way. Think about parents who work like slaves to provide for their families. You know, we, 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 why you work? I want my family to have more than I have. I, I want my family to have good life. I want my family, and they work like slaves to, to provide for their family only to put in such long and exhausting hours that they end up with little of themselves to give their family members. The one thing they were trying to do it for it's called perseveration. You're so focused on what you think you're doing that you miss it. How many marriages? You know, when we get about 20 years in now, we work hard and we get there, well, we're going to be good. The marriage doesn't last but five or ten because, yeah, you were saving everything, never going anywhere, never enjoying your marriage, never doing, but boy, you were putting away as much as you could. One of these days, we're going to have it good. It's called perseveration. Think about Christians. Think about Christians that start off in church, they get saved, man, they're so happy, and then all of a sudden they see all the things that they're, you know, I, I, got, I got to do this, and I need, I need to dress like this, and I need to, I need to act like this, and I got to quit doing this, and I got to, and they get so uber-focused on living a good life that they got a certain hairstyle, dress code, life, I mean, they, they, that they actually start looking at other Christians and like, you ain't good enough. They get self, self-righteous because they're trying to be righteous. You ever meet people like that? Yeah. It started out as a good thing. It started out as a wonderful thing. 
The problem is, is that it seemed logical. It seemed like a good thing, but it wasn't. Let me show it to you in this way. The devil loves this argument. More than anything else, the devil loves to get you in this argument because it's true. Listen to me. There's no proof that God exists in this world except the world itself. All of creation cries, there is, everything that says, but God's not going to come down tomorrow in a little green spaceship and say, just wanted y'all to know I'm real God's not going to prove himself. God's not going to do anything. God's not going to act in any way. In fact, even in Jesus' time, when they would come to him and say, if you'll do a sign, we'll believe you, Jesus says, I'll give you no sign. Why? Because you won't believe it anyway. Go with me in your Bibles to Acts 28 and 27. Acts 28 and 27. There'll be a few scriptures I want to pull up. For the hearts of this people are grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts. And turn so that I should do what? It's just like when I was talking a while ago. What are you going to do with that dollar? What are you going to? It, it, it doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem logical that that's going to make any difference. And Jesus says, and the Bible says over and over, it isn't. What, what difference is it going to make if I pray? What difference is it going to make if, if, I, if I do this? What difference is it going to make if I go to church? What difference is it going to make? And in the logical mind, I can look at you and say, I don't know. All I can tell you is, is that when you do it, when you turn your hearts, when you turn your lives, when you decide to do it, God all of a sudden says, now I'm fixing to heal the things and touch the things that you've been worried about all your life. In Romans, it says it this way. Go with me to Romans 1 and 17. Romans 1 and 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from what? Faith to faith. In it, in life, in your doing, the righteousness, God himself, is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We read over and over, without faith, you can't please me. The just shall live by faith. The apostle Paul writes it. Let me see if I can bring it down into this. Do you know that carrots, that carrots are one of the most dangerous foods you can ever eat in your life? Look at the person beside you and say, Pastor Lot said carrots are the most dangerous food you could ever eat. In fact, I'm telling you, I, I'm imploring you, do never to eat a carrot. And I'll show you my facts. Listen, an estimation... It's estimated that 99% of all people who die from cancer and heart disease have eaten carrots. 99% of all people who died of cancer ate carrots. 
Listen, it's estimated that 93.1 of juvenile delinquents from homes where carrots were served regularly. You don't realize how dangerous carrots are. Listen, among the people who were born in 1839 or later who ate carrots, 100% of them are dead. You tell me carrots ain't dangerous. Carrots will kill you. I see reports like this every day on the news. I saw one yesterday talking about, uh, and it, just, it, it was so hard. Even the, even the scientist that was on there was like looking at the reporter. Because what they were talking about was, was, was mortality rates and, and unsolved crimes and different things like this. And they were trying to say that, that if, if you were uh, an African-American in America, that if you were killed, then you're, it's a good possibility nobody's going to try to solve your crime had no other stats, no anything, no, no, no statistics, just like I'm pulling out carrots, pulled just the few that they liked and said, see? And, and, the, and the reporter said at the end, so what we're saying is, is that if you want to get away with a crime in America, a murder in America, kill an African-American. I'm like, tell me you didn't just say that. All my statistics are correct. Yeah, and the other 50,000 you left out. But see, that's what perseveration is. I already have a destination. I just don't need y'all to bother me as I get there. I'm try- Can't you tell I'm trying to do good? Can't you tell I'm trying to help you? Can't you tell I'm trying to... How many things do we do in our life every day? Can't you tell I'm, I'm trying? I'm just doing it for your good. Just like I'm trying to feed you carrots every day because it's good for you. Listen, how about this one? Jonathan Hatt, he said it this way. We think we're being scientists, but actually we're being lawyers. We're just trying to win the case that what we're doing is right. The scientist is like everyone else. They tend to see what they want to see. In fact, in science, listen, let me just give you a few uh, things. Doctors used to believe that the liver circulated the blood, and they taught that the heart circulated the vital, vital spirit. I don't even know what that is. It was not until the 19th century that surgeons felt the need to wash their hands. DNA was discovered in 1869, but scientists believe that protein passed on heredity until 1953. It wasn't until the 20th century that scientists believed that the atom wasn't the smallest particle in existence. For centuries, listen, even, even in the horticultural world, For centuries, we believed that plowing caused rain to come. You plow a field, it's going to rain. It wasn't until Galileo that we understood that objects that are heavier fall faster than objects that are lighter. 
Pilton, the Pilton man, the Piltdown man, or the missing link, that was proved erroneous. The missing link from reptiles and birds eventually was proved a forgery. In the 18th century, Mary Toff convinced doctors that she had been given birth to 16 rabbits. A short narrative delivered the, the rabbits was written by George the surgeon about her case. People stopped serving rabbit stew for years because they were afraid you could actually give birth to a rabbit. The Fiji mermaid, P.T. Barnum's museum had this. Eventually it was understood that they sewed a fish and, a, and a, an ape together and created a half man, half something. You know, when we always talk about Area 51 and all that kind of stuff and Roswell and well, let me explain how this got started. Alien autopsy. English cameraman Ray Santilli claimed he had footage of an alien autopsy in 1947's Roswell incident. Fox aired the portion of it, but in 2006, Santilli fessed up to the hoax. All the alien innards in the film were actually sheep brains, raspberry jam, and chicken uh, entrails. In 1995, now we're talking just 1995, fake news showed a brass-eyed connected and investigative reporter on a street drug they invented called cake, claiming it affected the area of the brain. Uh, members of the media lashed out against cake, and the British government even took the matter to Parliament. It wasn't even a real thing. We will believe anything. We will believe anything because if it points to what we already feel in our heart, do you know that 42% of people believe in ghosts? 42%, nearly 50% of America, you walking around, you ask, do you believe in ghosts? Oh, yeah. You seen one? Nope. Don't even want to be in a dark room Don't even because I'm afraid they're there. All because you watch too many TV shows. 61 do not believe in Oswald killed Kennedy, even though they know he shot him. 61% of America. Why? Because we put three documentaries out that says there could have been another answer. We become people that believe what we want to believe and move in the direction we want to move. Go with me to Romans 6, 1 through 7. I'll show you how this even works in the church. Romans 6, 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us that were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized unto his death? Now, go with me in your Bible. I'll explain what's going on. Go with me to Romans 3 and 3. Romans 3 and 3. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? So what was happening in this situation in Rome? Here's what's happening. Let us do evil... Let us do more evil so that good will result from it. If we do more bats, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God of none 
effect, keep reading, go to verse 8. Here's what it says. Chapter 3, verse 8. And why not say, let us do what? Let us do evil that good may... Isn't that our theology in Christianity? I'm not talking about 20,000 years. I'm not talking about 200 years. I'm talking about today. Don't people go to church this morning and say, hey, doesn't matter if I do bad. Because that just means God's grace shows more. In fact, we brag about it. God, I know I'm miserable. God, I know I sin every day. God, I know I'm messed up. I, I mean, because what that does is that wins more souls to the kingdom. You think that's a new theology? It's not a new theology. It was in Paul's time. So let us do what? Let's cheat on our wives. Let's rob. Let's steal. Let's shoot people. Let's, let's lie. Let's cuss. Let's cheat. Let's do evil. Why? So that good may come. You want to grow a church? We just all do bad. It lets people know just how awesome God's grace is to forgive all that junk. You didn't know that theology was already there? As we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say their condemnation is just. Oh, it wasn't just there. Go with me to Romans 5 and 20. Romans 5 and 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abound, grace abounded much more. In other words, if the people sin more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more and more abundant. The more I sin, the more God shines through me. How about Romans 6 and 1? Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may? That was the argument. Go to Romans 3 and 7. Go back there to verse 3 and 7. Here's what it says. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a... If, if what I'm doing is bringing God more glory... If my lies serve to show off God's truth, all the more glorious, why blame me? Why are you blaming me? I'm doing God a favor. When I lie, it makes God look better. Doesn't it? Isn't that our theology for today? If I'm a sinner saved by grace and I keep sinning, then doesn't it make God's grace look better? Because that means that God keeps forgiving me even though I messed up. Y'all think that's a new theology. That was in Paul's time. We just recreated it and called it eternal security. Uber grace. To where we can keep on sinning, keep on living, and the more we do it, the more God's grace shines through us. That means when I look at somebody and say, you know what, I cheat on my wife, I lie, I, cut, I cheat on my taxes, I do it. But you know what, all that does is show you how awesome God is that God's still going to let me go to heaven. That's all you're doing. Now, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1, let's read it again. 
what would Paul say to such a thing? What would he say to such a ridiculous theology? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that what? Isn't that the, isn't that the, the theological question of our day? Why we can't in the church change our country? It's because our theology is flawed. Here's what he says. Certainly not. Look at the person beside you and say, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Well, how are you going to do that, Brother Lot? Well, here's what we did. What is baptism? What is baptism? We just saw a young boy be baptized. And what is baptism? It's an outward symbol of what God did on the inside, right? Wrong. That's what you've been taught. Let me tell you what baptism is. Baptism is the day your flesh died. You climbed in the water and you signified that just as Jesus died and rose in newness, I this day have died. Tim Lott died. Remember I tell you all the time, none of you in this room ever met who? None of you ever met Tim Lott. None of you. Tim Lott climbed into a pond many years ago, and Tim Lott stood there and knew what he was doing, that he was dying to himself, that he no longer lived, but Christ would live in me from that moment on. It wasn't that I had Christ and I go live my life. No, no, I died. And when I died, I rose and Christ who lives in me lived through me from that moment on. So all you have seen is Christ trying to live through Tim Lot as Tim Lot each day crucifies his flesh and says it no longer has a say and hopefully you get a vision of Jesus living on the earth. Now let's read verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to what? live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you who were baptized into Christ were baptized unto his... Some of y'all, y'all not know that? If the Apostle Paul was preaching to you, he'd say, do you not know what you did? Did you not know that that day you died? I know it's going to seem hard to you. You're no longer Caucasian. You're no longer African-American. You're no longer Chinese. You're no longer rich. You're no longer poor. From this moment on, you are part of my family. Did y'all not know y'all did that? Y'all just thought y'all just kind of like did the thing. Paul said, do you not know that you died that day? Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism unto his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in... For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the older that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to 
That's why some of you came out of the water and you still were a slave to sin. Bro, I got saved, but I still got a lot of issues. Well, you need to go back down in there. And you need to keep doing it until you figure out what you just did. Because what you did was die. And the one thing that died was all the bondage that once held you. Do you not realize what happened the day you got baptized? Some of you got saved and decided you didn't even want to be baptized. There's some of you in this room that will tell everybody, I'm saved, never been baptized. Can't figure out why my life is the way. I'll tell you why, because you never died. You never died to yourself. You're still telling God, I'll accept your forgiveness, but I ain't doing what you told me to do first, get baptized. Y'all awful quiet. Is this good? Is it hard? Yes. Verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Want to get rid of your sin problem? Die. Dead people don't sin. Ain't no sin going on in the graveyard. And there's no sin going on on people who died to themselves in Christ. They don't continue in sin. They don't use grace as a way to say, I keep sinning so that grace looks better. That's a faulty theology. Now, turn with me to John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. We won't cover all the verses. Say, praise the Lord. I would love to. I'd love to take the next hour and a half and let's just, just tear this thing apart. But let's not. But I do want to show you what I'm talking about in this, in this story. Perseveration. So focused. And, and here's the thing. That even for some of you, what I just said, I just told you, you quit sinning because you die to yourself and you do this. And there's some of you just like, yeah, but brother Lot, I just can't stop doing what... Didn't I just tell you how to go free? Yeah, but you don't understand. I got. You just keep flying that airplane. You just keep flying that airplane. Can't stop. John 9 and 1, there's a group of people that are struggling here. And this is the story of the man that was born blind. Let me just catch you up. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was born blind from birth. The disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they already have a, a view of how life works. If you are sick or something's wrong in your life, then the only reason you're in this condition, because this was taught to them, how are you sick? Because you've done something wrong. There's, there's denominations and people today that still use that theology on people. It's a terror, because if, if you stop going to this church and something happens to you, just say you had a car wreck, which happens to people all. If you just had, do you know that that group of people is going to turn around and say, well, you know why they had that car wreck. You, you know, you know. You know God. They got a curse on them. And the, and the disciples were in no different shape. They were raised understanding that if something went wrong in your life, you must have done something wrong. Isn't that what Job's friends told him? Joe, we don't know what you did, but you must have done something. Ain't no way you'd be in this shape without having done something. You must be a horrible man. We just ain't figured it out yet. 
Job's like, guys, I have searched. I don't know anything I've done. Oh, no, we know it's something. We know it's something. Pharisees taught the disciples who learned, said, Lord, who sinned? They didn't ask if somebody had sinned. They didn't ask, is it possible? They said, who did it? We already got the answer. We just need you to tell us who it was. Was his parents who sinned or did he do something? What happened that this man was born blind? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered them, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay and and saliva, and he rubs it on the man's eyes. He looks at him and tells him to go to the pool of Salaam and wash it off. Now, think about this man. The only man whose life is changed in the whole story. The disciples, they think he did something wrong. The Pharisees, we're going to get to them. But there's this one man, and he's been blind since birth, 30-something years old. This man who has never seen, never, never, never in his life, every physician, every person who's ever checked him out has told him, you don't have anything there. There's no way you'll ever see. Your eye sockets, it's, it's totally gone. There's nothing. You will never see. He's resided to the fact, just who I am. He begs every day. They put him in a certain location. He begs for alms. It gives him enough to keep food on the table. It gives him enough to to, to buy bread. It gives him enough to live. And then one day, with all the information that he has, with all the logic that he has in his life, with everything that he has, one man comes by. He doesn't even know him. But he hears about him, and he spits on the ground. Think about it now. He spits on the ground, rubs it on my face, and tells me, go wash it off, and you'll see. Now, what would you do? Most of us in this room are way too logical. First, we'd be offended that somebody spit on the ground because the person beside said, dude, he just spit on the ground and rubbed it on your face. You need to get a lawyer. You need to sue him. He just spit on the ground and rubbed it on your face. And then he told you, he didn't say, here, let me help you. Because, I mean, you know, that's what a good Christian would do. You, you let me help you get to the pool. Here, come on, we're going to be all right. It's going to be. Jesus don't walk with him. Here's a blind man that's got to get to a pool. Stumbling, bumbling. And Jesus just, go wash it off at the pool of Salaam. Not just any pool, but go to that pool and receive your sight. This one man is able to unfocus from all the things in his life. Think of how much faith that takes. He is able to unfocus from everything the doctor has ever said, 
his mother has ever said, his father has ever said, society has ever said. He unfocuses from everything that's ever been told about him, spoken over him, and he says, this one man has said, I can change my life. One man says my life can change. And I'm willing with mud on my face to stagger through the city and try it. Some of us have a hard time unfocusing enough from our life to get to church. Unfocusing enough to to focus even to sit in church, to even listen to a sermon. We got so many things and so much we already got to do, so many places we got to be, so much stuff on our plate. When I said it would take me an hour and a half to preach that, some of y'all are like, oh, Lord. I'm thinking, wouldn't that be cool? What else you got to do today? It's the Lord's day. You canceled everything else in your life today because it's the Lord's day. It's your day of rest. You have no plans. Right? Right? Not right. You done told somebody you'd be meet them at at 10 o'clock. Look, church is out of take 10, 940, Pastor Long, and then I promise I'll be there by 10 o'clock. You already got your life planned. This man had a plan for the day. I'm going to sit here all day. I'm going to do this. And somebody messed up my plans. I mean, somebody spit on my face and told me to go wash it off. Messed my whole day up. You know how much money I'm going to lose by not sitting here and rattling my can? But I'll do it. Because of it, the Bible says he was healed. Now, I want to show you the third group. The Pharisees. These are people much like a lot of people. And they can't stop focusing on what they focus on to learn and grow anymore. Go with me to verse 14 and 16. Verse 14 through 16. The Pharisees have a problem. This man is healed. Everything is great. But notice what happens first. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked the man, Is is this not from God? Uh, the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. He said, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. it. It's illogical. <laughs> Tell me one more time what happened. I'm telling you, he spit on the ground, he rubbed it on my face, told me to wash it off, and when I washed my face, I could see. Really? We've been praying for you for years. I don't know what y'all did. I'm just telling you what he did. Then the Pharisees, verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Hold on now. This can't be good because he did it on the wrong day. And because he did it on the wrong day, this man can't be from God. He's church of God. He's not Baptist. This man is not even United Methodist. There ain't no way he can be from God. Now, I know y'all wouldn't think stuff. I'm just telling you what happens in the world. You ain't the right flavor, the right style, the right background. You ain't got the right education. I've walked into rooms with people that can't keep 30 people in their church and asked me, where'd you go to seminary? I didn't. I went to sack and save. And the conversation was over. They didn't want to hear nothing else I ever had to say. I didn't know anything about anything. And I'm thinking, 
Why? Because we already have an answer. We just need to put the facts in place because we all know carrots will kill us. We just need everybody else to understand carrots will kill you. 100% death rate if you eat carrots. Juvenile delinquents eat carrots. They already had the answer. They just needed to figure out why they believed it. Verse 18. They have another problem. Not only was the Sabbath a problem, but listen to what it says. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents to him who had received his sight. They, they finally looked at the guy who was blind, and since they didn't they don't want to believe in Jesus, we don't believe in him. We don't even believe you were blind. Really? They call his parents? I don't know if they got a you know, an iPhone or something. They show him the pictures of him blind. I don't know what they do. Yeah, he's blind. He's been the same kid. Is this your kid? This is the kid. Remember, we used to bring him to, to y'all to pray. We used to do all this. That's him. Until they talked to their parents, they had done quit even believing this guy had been healed. Oh, it gets worse. Listen, go with me to verse 24. Listen to what they say. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man, Jesus, is a... That's why you can pray in God's name. I love how athletes and everybody, I want to give God the credit. God who? God who? Which one? See, they said give God the glory. We want to give God glory. But this man, Jesus, now, we don't want his name attached to it. We know he's not right. I'm going to tell you something. If one of these days I ever get a chance to do something like that and I get on there, I hope I make a mess of it. I want to thank Jesus Christ, the only son of the only begotten father. I want to tell you, he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is all in all and that bag of chips to go with him. And I want to thank him. Him and Him alone. Because it was Jesus who saved me, Jesus who redeemed me, Jesus who will take me home, and the Spirit of Jesus one day that will send me on to heaven. I want to thank Jesus Christ. You think how long you think that interview is going to last? It's all in how you say it. We don't believe it. Just we give God some glory. We already know this man is a sinner. They've done gone from the man was blind. They're not sure he got healed. Not sure how it happened. Now they done got the man. They ain't even sure he was really healed. And they done called Jesus a sinner. Man, carrots will kill you. Carrots will kill you. Listen to verse 27 through 29. He answered them, I told you already. <laughs> I love this blind man. I just, I done told you, and I've told you three or four times. How many times I got to tell you? I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become a disciple? Boy, that didn't go good. They and he they they verse. Then they reviled him and said, "You are his disciple." 
but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. Gets worse, doesn't it? Carrots will kill you. All you got to do is just keep proving your evidence, proving your evidence, proving your evidence. Verse 33 through 34. If this man were not of God, here's the blind man talking to him. And he, and he goes back and says, guys, from the beginning, we know that an evil person can't do an evil thing and a good person can't do nothing but good things. He said, so if this guy has done a good thing, then he must be from God, right? If, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. Now you've gone from being blind, now they just called him just a, just a wretch. Now Jesus starts the story off by telling them that who had sinned? Neither him nor his parents had sinned. And the Pharisees now come back and tell them, listen, I'll tell you about yourself. You are completely wrapped up in sin. And are and, and, and now you want to teach us? Who are you to teach us? Who are you to tell us? Don't you know carrots will kill you? Quit confusing us with the facts. The answer is sent him, you were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they were, had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said unto him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. In other words, I've come to bring truth. And those who think they see it and those who think they got it figured out, I'll show them that they don't. And those who will come to me and realize, Lord, I don't have it figured out. I don't understand it. I'll reveal it to them. Is, it's as simple as this. A plus B equals C. But there's a problem. We don't have enough information to know the A or the B. But we think we do through hundreds of years of science that we keep rewriting books, through all of our knowledge that keeps falling apart. Lord, look at our society. How smart do you think we are? What we are is lawyers trying to convince people that we got an answer, trying to convince people that we got it solved when the evidence every day says, no, you don't. You're not solving anything. See, only God knows the A, and only God knows the B. 
Therefore, he's the only one that can give you the sea. Jesus was able to tell the guy, take the mud, take yourself, and go wash, and you'll get your sea. You'll get your sight. Well, it don't make sense. I know. But I know the A, and I know the B. Therefore, I can tell you the C. Have you not been around here long enough to realize that that's how God works? I didn't understand all the A's of this camp. I didn't understand all the B's of this camp. I didn't understand all that had to happen. I didn't, couldn't figure out how we were going to get it all finished. I couldn't figure out. I didn't know the A or the B. It wasn't important. The one who knew the A and the one who knew the B started off by giving me the C. Tim, here's where you're going. Here's where you're going to end up. God, I don't, don't worry about that. The world says we know the A and the B, therefore we can give you the C. We know he's a sinner. We know this is not right. We know, not know that you weren't blind. We know all these problems. We know all this. Therefore, we can tell you the truth. Let's read. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, Are we blind also? It's the last verse of the Scriptures in this story. And Jesus said to them, If you were blind you would have not sinned. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sins remain. See, there was a time when I didn't know any better. There was a time when I didn't understand it. The hardest walk you'll ever do in the Christian walk is when you come to church and you keep hearing the stories and you keep hearing the results. and You, get, you know what happens? You stop having an excuse for why it can't happen for you. Your blindness falls off. Why can't you be healed? Well, you know, the doctor says, I'm asking you, why can't you be healed? Why can't your marriage make it? Well, you know, we've got all these problems. And if he's the one that can give you the C, then quit trying to put the A and the B in its place. If God says you can, then you can, and that's enough. Every miracle in the Bible, everything you ever read, any story, great person you ever hear about, it comes from them hearing the C and not understanding the A and B. If we go to Mother Teresa, you think she, she saw everything that was going to take place in her life? and all? No, she saw an empty hospital, and God said, that needs to be a mission. How's it going to be paid for? How's it going to? I don't have all the answers. God's in charge of the A and the B. I'm in charge of the C. Why is this so important, Brother Lot? Because let me tell you what's going to happen in all of your lives. He's going to give you a C. Hey, I want you to do this. Hey, I want you to quit your job and go here. Hey, I want you to start pursuing me here. Hey, I want you to go back to school. He's going to give you a C. I want you to start treating your wife this way. I want you to start treating your husband. I want, God, you're asking, I don't see how that's going to work. I don't see how that's going to help. I don't see, I don't need your A and B. Just believe that I can bring the C. Just believe that I can do what even those around you that are, quote, the professionals don't understand. Will you stand?
for some of you over this next season, one of the greatest things that, that Camp Cypress will do. And I, I, I unveil things in pieces because I don't share all of it from the beginning. But I'll peel back another piece of the onion. The greatest thing that Camp Cypress will do is it will open up the mind and hearts of people to see things in their own selves that they never thought before could happen. What I've watched over the course of time is kids that are sitting there watching and believing greater things in their lives. What I saw was pastors and others sitting there looking at our facility and looking at what we did and thinking, that's just impossible, that's just impossible. I'm like, it was. But God said we could do it. And them thinking about all the things God is speaking to them that they are supposed to do. And getting a glimpse that, you know, God, maybe it's possible. Maybe if I go to the pool and wash my butt off, I might see. Maybe, maybe. If he can do it from an uneducated little preacher like Tim Lott, then maybe he'd do it for me. Maybe if you do it for some little blind man sitting on the side of the road, some woman with the issue of blood. Maybe if you do it for some lepers that are screaming, or, or blind Bartimaeus screaming on the side. If you'll do it for them, if you'll give them a C, here's the answer. Then maybe he's got an answer for me, for my marriage, for my life, for my future. And I'll go ahead and tell you he does. He knows the plans that he has purpose that he has he just needs you to be able to listen to hear to believe to trust if you're in this room today I'm going to pray a very special prayer I'm going to pray a prayer that the thing that God has locked up inside of you the, the dreams that are there some of them are just dreams is growing and they keep getting bigger. That's okay. But whatever it is, that it breaks forth in your life. Father, the enemy more than anything else loves the argument, you can't see him, so you can't believe in him. And God comes and says, if you will believe in me, you can see me. And in front of us lies that question every single day. I don't see Him, but I believe Him. Or we excuse ourselves by saying, well, I don't see it, so I can't believe it. But Father, this morning I pray that you will wake up inside the individuals in this room that which they can only see in their spirits, that which they can only see by faith, that which they can only see when they're sitting there with you. And it's like they argue, God, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do it. Don't worry about it. It's just see it. Can you see it? Father, I declare in the name of Jesus, open doors, open windows. I declare the hand of the enemy withdrawn. And that right now in Jesus' name, in His mighty name, that God... Not only do they see it, 
in their flesh, in their spirit. Not only do they see it, but they hold and believe it and move forward in it. God, by faith right now, the greatest things in their life will happen because of what they did by faith. And I give you glory even before it takes place. In their marriage, their children, their lives, their future. By faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you get a chance this week, give that old devil fits. <laughs>